being reasonable. Now heard on WHUPLP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough, and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. Fasten your I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we hold a conversation with Danielle Koppel, Reiki master from Tejas Healing Arts in Carborough, North Carolina. Danielle reflects on Reiki's healing light transmissions to calm and brighten a person's energy field. Next, we speak with Cameron Skidmore as he discusses his belief in the inherent goodness of all people. But first up, Danielle Koppel from Tejas Healing Arts. My two favorites these days are um, doing Reiki facials and chanting while channeling Reiki through my voice. What is Reiki? Yeah, Reiki is a healing light modality that can't do harm, that um, at the very worst, you end up feeling like you've just had the best meditation ever. But better than that, without making any claims, can potentially help with your health or challenges that are happening stress-wise in your life or help to really um, calm and brighten the energy field. So I'm ignorant about Reiki. You mentioned you use light. Do you use literal light? It's literally a light transmission. Um, So you say a prayer and open to this light that is coming through you and out your hands. It's quantifiable-ish, right? You probably can't see it unless you have like special powers of vision, which some people do, but yeah. So how does it work? Yeah, so you say a Reiki prayer and invite in the light to come, to pour through you and into the person. And you set the intention that whatever needs to be healed is. And you can touch them or you can keep your hands, you know, a few feet away from them and send this light through, right? And you go to different parts of the body as you move through and you can do it in a structured way or you can do it in a more intuitive way and just go to where you're feeling called to go. And what does it do? Yeah. So it has a relaxing or calming effect on the nervous system and It is supposed to add like healing energy or light to the body itself. So then it helps to boost the immune system and calm the nerves. And how do we know it works? 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know that we do know, except that every client that I've ever had has always left saying that they felt way more peaceful or way more alert or um, more at peace, more, more at ease. You know, it works from personal experience based on what your clients have told you. And also working on myself, right? I can feel it on myself. I can work on myself as a practitioner and also feel it as though I'm getting it from someone who's not me. Maybe like on a scale from one to seven, how confident would you say that your belief in this working is true? Yeah, probably seven. How important is it for you on a scale from one to seven to believe in things that are true? Probably a one. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't know that the belief has to be there for it to work. In fact, I feel like you can totally not believe it and it still has... um, an effect. I mean, I think it's important that I believe it as I'm working on people, but I don't feel like I would have to believe that it was literally true in order for it to still work, if that makes sense. It's separate from you, right? It's an entity that comes through you. So it's not really you. Are you saying that it might work because of different reasons than you say it is? That makes sense. I don't know Different if that reasons than you yeah. say. Yeah. So because um, you're you're saying that it's, think, it's not important to you if it's true or not. So right. I'm trying to understand. So are you saying that it may work because of something that has nothing to do with, with Reiki me? or might That's be nothing right. to do with Reiki? That's right. Yeah. I think it it works whether I believe it's true or not, or whether you believe it's true or not. Like I have seen examples of it working. I mean, I guess I do always believe it. So it. It's not a really good test. But could it work for reasons that are different from what the tenets of Reiki suggest? What do you mean? Could it work for reasons different than... Well, for example, let's say someone comes to see you and uh, they want to feel calmer after the session and you're talking in a calm voice and you're explaining about the energy and you're giving this person unconditional positive regard and you're just being nice to the person and the person appreciates that. And it's, you know, and the music is nice and the smells are nice and they could be deriving a benefit from that primarily as opposed to the light from Reiki, but that's okay with you. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think what you're saying I think all of the things that you just listed do have a positive benefit. And in our society these days, I feel like just basic human kindness is lacking. And so, sure, I think they could have a positive effect from that. I feel like when I'm in a session, as nice as all of those things are, it's usually not what changes the person. It's usually not the effect. It's the actual Reiki. Um, it would be awesome to be able to take credit for it, but I just don't think I could. Yeah. Well, I just find it interesting that when I talk to most people, usually the, on the truth scale, yeah, they're like seven. Seven, absolutely. Right? Yeah, why not? So, but I'm just trying to make sure I understand that whether it is Reiki or, or you, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 
you're good with it. You know? I am. Yeah. I'm like, if yeah. did that just have a healing effect on you? Fantastic. Was it the Reiki or was it me? Does it matter? Well, that's interesting. It is, right? But yeah. I don't usually have this kind of conversation. So I, li- <laughs> I like this. Lovely. Um, it changes <laughs> how I ask my questions. Why is the effect of a belief more important than whether the belief is true? So I don't think that that's not necessarily the case. I think the effect of a belief and the belief being true both have valid weight. Um, For me personally, as a practitioner, I'm more concerned that the challenges you're having are getting closer to being solved or lightning or being resolved um, than the how. But there's so much to be said for what people believe in and how that changes the way you are in all ways, right? So that's not to be discounted either. Is that making sense? Say say that last thing again. Sure. Um, Just because I think something is happening, regardless of if I believe it or not, doesn't mean that I want to discount the art of belief, right? I feel like belief systems can absolutely change you. If you're buying into a certain intention, I feel like it can have positive benefit. And I also feel like certain systems can work regardless of if you believe in them or not. So I feel like both things are true and they both have positive benefit. Hmm. Maybe if I generated a thought experiment, and I've used this before, let's say I believe that I am a billionaire. Sure. I'm not a billionaire. Sure. But I believe it. Okay. And because I believe it, it makes me a nicer person. I give more money to others. And my friends would tell you that I'm a, just seem like a better person. The belief is not true. Right. But it's helpful. Sure. So in this case, is the belief more important than whether this is true? So it depends. I mean, did you go out and buy a really expensive car thinking you're a billionaire? If you did, that can be detrimental and then that belief system isn't really serving you. Are you still living as though you weren't a billionaire, but believing that you are? And as a result, you're more generous and loving in the world? Then sure, I say buy into that, whether it's true or not, because at the end of the day, we need more love and compassion on this planet. If it sets you up to end up in some sort of dire straits with regard to how you can survive in this world, then probably it's not the best belief system to buy into, right? There'd be ways that this belief could work for me and that there are ways that this belief could get me in trouble because the belief is running up against a fact. Right, exactly. is I don't have a billion dollars. That's right. So, I mean, if what you're saying is as a result of 
believing that you have more money, you feel more abundant and you move through the world more abundantly and things go more positively for you. Well, fantastic. But if you're coming up against real life challenges that you can't meet anymore, then possibly not a healthy mindset to adopt. Yeah. Right. So in the case of Reiki. Yeah. Using your way of thinking about this, is there only positives or could we run up against some fact that would lead us to examine whether we need to address the truth of whether Reiki works? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question. Um, So I think that sets up a few different parts that I'll try to open up. And one of those parts is, let's imagine, I mean, may this not be true, but let's imagine someone is dying, right? And they're trying to find ways of continuing to live or live longer, for instance. Mm -hmm. If you're meant to go at a certain point, and that's like set in whatever way, if we can buy into that belief system, then Reiki isn't going to help you live longer. It it might make you more comfortable. It may might make you more calm. If there's some negotiation here, right? And it's not meant to be that you die tomorrow. It's meant that to be that you will die eventually like we all do. But in this case, certain circumstances led you to have this kind of dis-ease. Reiki could potentially help that, but I wouldn't advise to do Reiki exclusively and like ignore your doctor or ignore your spouse or ignore other people's good advice. I would say, and. So to make it even more concrete, to use Reiki and to disregard your chemotherapy right. would be a bad effect Absolutely. from this belief. Sure. I mean, that said, I would, you know, really look into chemotherapy and make sure that that's a good choice for you, of course. Look into all of the options well, including okay. Reiki, right? Right. And, like, maybe don't put all eggs in one basket, perhaps. So that's interesting. So if someone, let's say, has cancer and they want to integrate Reiki sure. and they want to integrate maybe chemotherapy yeah. and other things. Yeah. How could that person decide what is true and real then? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And so one thing one could do is let's say there's a period of time before you start your chemotherapy You could maybe get some Reiki sessions in, in advance, and then have some testing and see, and also see how you're feeling, right? And get some testing and see if there's any change so that you can actually have some proof for yourself, right? And also get the experience of that feeling. Then once you've started the chemo, you can continue to have those Reiki sessions. They may or may not feel the same. It might be different because of the added element. And then also see, well, what is that like? What if Brenda is sitting next to you and Brenda says, I understand what you're saying about, uh, let's say if someone has cancer and they want to integrate Reiki and chemotherapy and other modalities, who knows what. Yeah. And Brenda says, but you know what? 
I think this is really serious and I really want to know what's true. Right. I want to know what's real because there's a lot writing on it. Sure. I mean, I would tell her that truth is subjective. Are you feeling like this would truly help you? If so, let's try a session. And then let's see how you feel. Is this working for you or not? Because I just don't think that anything is empirically true. Like, I feel like truths can be subjective. And though there can be kernels of truth in multiple things, I also feel like there's varying shades of gray within that. We continue our conversation with Danielle Koppel, Reiki master from Tejas Healing Arts, after this short break. Touch the sky. You're not ordinary. 
what would you say if someone told you that I may try chemotherapy, I, I may not, uh, whether it works is really going to be dependent dependent on whether it's true for me. Yeah. And there may be kernels of truth in chemotherapy, or they may not be. We'll see how it goes that way. Are you comfortable with someone making that statement? I think that's a good statement, right? I think that's being true to yourself and it's following your intuition, which at the end of the day, when we really can follow our intuition, I think we're more in alignment with our true nature. Okay. If a very unfortunate situation and cancer would befall a friend of ours or a family member of ours, you're saying that it's the treatment should really be guided on someone's intuition more so than what the scientific literature would say about what to do. Yeah, I think so. Because I think at the end of the day, different things will work for different people. But if you're pretty tuned into your intuition and your intuition is saying, don't do this or do do this, I think there's a lot of clout in listening to that, for sure. Can intuition be wrong? I mean... Once again, I love that we're just talking about subjective things. I Sure, perhaps, right? Like, I mean, I think there are people that believe that they can cure things in certain ways, and then you can hear disastrous stories of how that didn't work out so well. Um, on the flip side, you could find out that they chose to listen to their doctor's advice over their own intuition, went through a bunch of chemotherapy and other sorts of things, and then ended up ultimately dying but having their last months or years be kind of dreadful and awful and always in the hospital, right? So, and everything in between those two statements, right? I had a friend, have a friend, um, and he was diagnosed with uh, cancer and it spread to his blood and bones. Mm. And he was given a few months to live, right? Mm. So we did Reiki sessions and chanting. Um, he was already a strong chanter. And because there was nothing else for him to do. He had done chemo. He had had operations. Mm -hmm. It just kept coming back. So it's been 10 years now and he's still alive. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to make a claim that Reiki did that or even chanting did that, but he would make that claim that those two things together did. Now, did those two things do it or did his belief in them doing it do it? I don't know. Or something else that we don't even know, right? I'm not sure, but- He's alive, and that's cool. It would seem that that's an amazing story. And me personally, I'd want to find out. Right. I'd want to know what is responsible for him living much longer than he was. Yeah, and he would go to his doctors, and they would just say, this is amazing. We can't believe it. I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So could one make the argument that we should start testing these things to find out what's real so we can yeah, implement mean, them? I would like that 
frankly, just because it would be awesome to say to clients, all right, well, Duke studies say blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. I'm not making that claim, but here is this study and this is what this shows. Yeah, it would be lovely. How nice would it be if we could have, if we could test these? I mean, we can test them. How nice would it be if places tested them that had um, resources to do so and papers to be written so that we could actually, you know, put evidence behind these things that seem very esoteric? I think that would be fantastic. So maybe what you're saying is, is that we could find an objective truth there somewhere. Right. And that would be, how nice would that be? I would love that. Yeah. If you had the choice, would you take an objective truth over a personal truth or is it all the same for you? I mean, for me, uh, good question. Both and, I mean, I feel like when I hear an objective truth, I'll let it land and see how I feel about it. Right. And intuitively I might say, oh yeah, no, that, that feels right to me. Or I might think, okay, well that might be objectively true for that. Um, it feels not quite right for me and I don't know why I would want to open that up and look at it more. So I don't know if that's fully answering your question, but um, I guess it would be a case by case situation. And this might be a weird question, but are subjective truths truths? Well, and one could argue that all truth is subjective, right? And compare it because what are we comparing it to? Well, for example, let's say there are a number of roses in that vase right there, right there. Yes. And there is either an even number or an odd number of roses in that vase. And whether we exist or persist or not in this life, there's going to be an answer there. So one could argue maybe that that is a universal truth. It's not a personal truth because it doesn't matter what I think about it. There's going to be an answer there. So I agree with what I think you're saying. And I like those kinds of concrete things when we can actually tap into them. And someone else might argue, well, you see with your eye this many roses. And maybe this person does as well. But is there a potential other rose or something else that we're not seeing? You know, so... Could we then make a test to find out if we're... And that would be awesome. And so once again, that sounds fantastic. And I would want to make that test. So we could count them. That's right. Exactly. So then we could agree that there are objective truths? Well, we could agree that rose is looking like this... um, in our shared reality right now, and what we've decided a rose is, we have counted 12, and we both agree that there are 12 in there. So then, yes, I feel like that is a reality or a truth. But like, if you were to say this is true for all of time, and let's pretend like roses could exist for all of time, and some other element was introduced that suddenly made it not 12, but 11 for some reason, right? Then we have to then question that truth again, right? So I think that things can be true and still change in time because different um, elements or circumstances change. So you're saying in a universe where... 12 roses 
could be 11 roses, that we would be living in a universe where 12 roses would be 11 roses, and we'd have some sort of physics to account for that. Right, exactly. So like, you know, two plus two is four because we've all agreed on it. But if we decided two plus two is actually 4.5 based on blah, 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 new scientific evidence, if we all agree on that, then we're still seeing the same thing. But if we disagree on it, then where is the truth? If we all agree that two plus two is 4.5. Let's say every single person in this world agrees that 2 plus 2 equals 4.5. Would that make it true? Well, and that's a great question. And then does it make it a new quantifiable measurement? And just based on our agreement, that's what that measurement looks like? Or are we changing truth and we're all agreeing upon sort of an emperor's new clothes version of truth, which I think is very apt for um, the times we're living in, to then say, oh, well, we've all agreed on this and therefore this is true. And so, right. Yes. And just trying to see what you said. So what I'm saying is, is truth fundamentally unchangeable or is it something that we all agree upon and therefore arrive at so that we can manage and function in society? Right. And so you're, I think you're saying that there really are no universal truths because as long we can all agree that two plus two equals 4.5 and it would make it so. Right. Right. Is that true? Well, I don't know. It's an agreed upon thing. And so is agreeing upon something by all make it true? Or do beliefs cause facts or do facts cause beliefs? Well, and I think once again, you're hitting on an interesting sort of cosmic mystery. Chicken egg, which is the case? Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. This is a really interesting conversation. So you brought... My harmonium. A harmonium. Yes. What is a harmonium? Yeah, a harmonium is, um, it's like a miniature organ, but it has a, um, a bellows. And originally, harmoniums came from, they're not quite sure, either England or Ireland, you know, sort of thousands of years ago. And then... When the British invaded India, they brought the harmonium over and it was much bigger. And the Indian population was like, oh, well, this is great, but it needs to be much smaller and portable and work like this. And so it turned into what you see these days. And so for the last hundred plus years, they've been almost made exclusively in India and are now thought of as an Indian instrument. So it's like an organ with that functions like a bagpipe? Kind of, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it has sort of a more. Yeah, thank you. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, very very similar to that, sure. Great. Yeah. Let's hear it.
Coming up now, Cameron Skidmore, as he discusses his belief in the inherent goodness of all people. To be honest with you, Cameron, I would want to believe that. (laughs) I mean, I would love to desperately believe that people want to be good, but I also would want to know what's true. Well, I think that ultimately there's part of the beauty of being alive, to be frank, not to get too poetic, is that you're never going to know everything that's true. But I think that in the absence of knowing everything that's true, it's very, very important to pick the beliefs that go beyond that event horizon for you. So you and I will never know for sure the answer to the question, are people good, bad, or in between? Um, But I think at least for me, uh, and maybe there's another effect for somebody else, maybe for some people having a more uh, negative view of the whole thing is a good thing for them somehow. Um, power to them. But at, le- at least for me personally, that belief is is very useful. I would never seek to impose it on anybody else. Um, so that's that's the only thing. And I think that it it people in my experience, if you see if you like them, frankly, if you're in a room with them and you you actively find reasons to like them, they respond better. I think it's just a, the a way of psychology almost. Um, so that helps me do that as well. Uh, if I'm, I mean, goes without saying, if I inherently think people are bad or maybe even neutral, there's going to be this undercurrent of suspicion or judgment, which will turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. So I find it to be a very useful belief. And I think beliefs are more like things we should carry around with us in a bag. If they're useful one moment and then not the next, you should be able to replace that. You shouldn't be personally attached to it if you can help it. How about an example? Sure. We are in the Everglades. We're walking around, and there are two alligators we witness in the swamp. And uh, one of the alligators jumps up and bites someone, very unfortunately. But the other alligator, for whatever reason, does not Mm -hmm. bite someone. Does that say anything about the inherent goodness or non-goodness about alligators? I'm I'm following you. I'm following you. I think that it. I don't. I don't think it. It, it makes uh, alligators good, bad, or in between, just by that situation. But I think that that alligator didn't bite somebody for personal reasons. I could be wrong. Alligators could hold grudges, but I don't think that it was out of a sense of anything but um, natural instinct to do that. And I think that that is not necessarily a choice of that alligator. So I think that the alligator is perfectly fine to do that. The other alligator who sat on the sidelines probably already had somebody's hand that morning. So I'm fine with that. That both alligators are acting as alligators do, I would think. One alligator, for whatever reason, took our friend's hand off and the other alligator did not. Mm -hmm. If there's not an inherent goodness or badness to alligators, why would there be an inherent goodness or badness to us? Because <laughs> we have the uh, the consciousness to have a conversation about the the alligators in the first place, I guess. Because there's a a level of choosing that carries out with human beings. I, I and I guess that's just maybe it's wishful thinking to think that we even have any choice in the beginning. With maybe we're uh, like the alligators and we just don't know it. 
maybe we're just going on natural drives here. Um, but I think that if I'm trying to use the scientific part of my mind more, the more rational part, I can look at my life before I believe that. And uh, bef- let me be more specific. Before I believed that um, that that choice was important of and knowing whether believing whether there's inherent goodness or badness or in between in me was important because before I didn't care and after I see a marked improvement in my ability to um, let's say uh, be more at peace and be more peaceful. I would want to know what extra special sauce do we as humans have that alligators don't have in this context? Mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe the back door to that question, so to speak, is um, the alligators themselves are somehow removed or separate from other living things. So let me, let me try to bring that around. Part of The Course in Miracles is based around the fundamental idea that uh, the mind itself believes in a sense of separation. Now, obviously, I'm, talk- Ooh, I'm talking to you, Mark, um, and there's a separation between us, right? But in the Course in Miracles sense, you try not to see yourself so much as an individual. You are an individual. It doesn't say you're not. But it tries to invest you fully in other living beings and in their 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 well-being. And that sounds very high-minded and all, but it actually makes a massive difference on a person, ironically, on a personal level when you start to do that. And so let's go back to those alligators in the swamps real quick. If I see myself as hardened and separate from them, I'm going to probably be very mad that they just bit my hand's friend off. There's absolutely no reason to feel personally angry at that alligator. If you really back away from it and you really see it rationally, there's no reason to. That's, yeah. yeah. And so with other people, not saying people are alligators, but there's a lot of situations like that. Of course, that person's going to act in that way. That's all they've known. And that's their natural, logical reaction at this point. There's no benefit for me to judging them now. I just have to see this for what it is and move on from it. Because if you do attach that personal, very, and it's really a course and not taking things personally, to be honest, um, then that's going to create a whole bunch of negative outcomes for you and everybody else down the road. Um, but you can stop it right here if you choose. You can stop that personal fabricated judgment in its tracks and move things to a different direction. And that's pretty much the point. I'm trying to understand what you're saying, and me not understanding is typically the result of me, <laughs> not you. <laughs> well, we're, we're trying to take very, very personal beliefs and talk about them in, a, in an objective yeah, way. That, right. that, that requires a lot of patience on, on everybody's part to kind of bring those into a more, uh, to use common reference points, right? So our metaphor earlier was really useful, the swamp one, because that's a common reference point that we use to communicate with each other. You have this underpinning that people are positive, they're good, Yep. this goodness about them. So this is a personal truth mm-hmm. and not a universal truth for I, you. I would say so, because I, I can't prove it uh, to somebody else. I, I can prove it to myself uh, in moments. Maybe this is just a function of how I'm revved as a person, <laughs> but... Uh, and this is a priori. I 
can think about the history of humanity. And while there is some wonderful things we've accomplished in our history, I see a lot of terrible crap that's happened too. I mean, genocide. I mean, you know. Yeah, the list is long. The list is endless. Yeah. And I understand wanting to believe that people are have this inherent good quality about them. But may I, I try to look at it objectively, and it's hard for me to get there. Well, may I, may I pose a question, then? Because yes. it just came to me. It Please. just came out of nowhere. Those bad things, were they done by people who believed that people were inherently good, or by, things, by people who thought that people were inherently bad in some way? At least certain groups of people were inherently bad. I think that's an interesting question. If those people had believed that the people that they were doing terrible things to were inherently good, would they have done it in the first place? Now, last, last thing to add to that. Um, I've focused a lot on saying other people are good, not saying I'm good, right? And the reason I'm doing that is because I think that you have to start with the people that you're, that are, you're looking at, not with yourself. Because every single one of those people who did those really bad things thought they were doing it for good reasons. They thought just of themselves justified. But that's a it's it's an it's kind of a trapdoor of sorts that by thinking starting at the place of I'm right, I'm good, you inevitably become less so in a weird way. I think my question to you would be where does this goodness come from? <laughs> God only knows. Um I think that I don't know for sure. And I don't, I think I'm okay with not knowing. Um, I think that it's easy to say it comes from, you know, God or it comes from some external thing. But the more I sit with it and the more I rest with it, the good that I see that comes out of people when I choose to see it, when I, and that's the thing, it only comes out when I choose to see it. A person can act very nicely to me, but if I've already presupposed them to be bad people, they'll seem like a devil to me, um, then that goodness seems to come from my ability to choose inside myself or not. That's all, I'm, all I seem to, um, to have it come from. So maybe the idea of God, whatever that may mean to somebody, at least for me personally, the more I sit with this, the more the idea of God created everybody good or, or you know, inherently loving and righteous, that seems to go more inward than outward, uh, quickly so, in fact. Uh, so I think that it's one of those things where I don't really know, and I don't really need to know, because the results kind of prove themselves to me. And I think that it may even distract somewhat from the point, not to dodge your question, but just to, I've thought about it, and I, you know, it doesn't matter as much to me. At the basis of the belief, you think that a God gave that inherent goodness to people, whether that's true in the end doesn't matter to you. I wouldn't even say that I believe that. I wouldn't even say that I believe that because um, when we say something like um, God gave that inherent goodness to somebody, Mm -hmm. that is, to me, it feels an oversimplification of the point uh, on my personal experience. Um, So in one way, I could say that that's what I believe, but I think to a lot of people who hear that, what I actually mean doesn't quite come across. I think that, and I don't mean I, to mis- no, mis- no, no, I don't no. mean misinterpreting. So tell me how I I really want to understand sure. where you're coming from. So. Oh, 
remember, Mark, you're perfect. Um, <laughs> you should see my emails from the show. <laughs> oh, man. But see, those are, sorry, we're good tangent real quick. I'll bring it back around a prompt to your question, I promise. But there's a there's some kind of weird principle there that I don't even fully understand. Those Those emails that come in, you can see that as people who just want to be heard and not people who know a darn thing about you personally, mm-hmm. you know? And that they just maybe haven't been hurt a lot in their past and that they see you as a good person because you're good at listening to people, maybe a good person to listen to. And that kind of provocative language is how they've usually gotten response from people in the past. Mm. Maybe that's all that those emails become to you now. Uh, Or maybe they're just people who are spiteful and don't have anything better to do. But that's your choice, right? So the the question about the God thing... um, There's this whole realm of the human mind that kind of opens up when you when you bring an idea like God into the picture because it's such an existential thing. And for me personally, and I think for every person, it feels that way. And so it can be a bit like the proverbial man on a cloud. It can be very unreachable and, and almost uh, removed from proof in a weird way, right? Because it's so far above, so far beyond, you don't really, it's just there. Um, but my experience of what God is, is actually not that at all. And it, it, the word God doesn't even really do it justice, because that has hundreds, thousands of years of, of connotations to them. Um, but it's, it's whatever the source of that inherent uh, not even the goodness, but the choice to choose the goodness came from, if that makes sense. So it's not the goodness, seeing the goodness in others, to be clear. So that choice itself, the, the ability for my mind to make that choice, whatever gave me that or wherever that came from, that's what uh, God in my context is. So th- that is the best way I can explain it. Um because inherently that free will, if we want to call it that, uh, lets me choose to see people differently. And that actively not only helps me, but helps them. And funnily enough, the more you choose to see people that way, or the other way, or, or neutrally or whatever, that, I, that point of reference that you are having, it inevitably is shared with people. And inevitably one way or the other converts them in any given moment. Um, there's been plenty, and it can go good or bad. There's been plenty of moments where I've been in a, in a state where I'm seeing everybody as a bad person and all man, am I a victim and all these different things. I'll go to somebody who's a friend or a confidant and they'll have the other reference point, the reference point that, you know, not just me, but other people are inherently good and that, Maybe you should, not saying that what you're feeling is not justified, just try to open up to seeing it differently. Maybe it'll make you happier. Um, My beliefs at that point about other people hit theirs and changed because the two of us had had a dialogue and one viewpoint of seeing the world overcame the other one. And that can be a subtle thing like a, a good friend in any one moment. And again, I, I think we can simplify this. It's, it's as simple as a friend taking the time to listen to your problems, right? 
that can create enough space for you to see something differently. Um, but I think that that is extremely profound also because it means that you're actively influencing other people. And I think that in a very humble way, you should take a little bit of response or I, I felt that I need to take responsibility. If I'm constantly influencing other people by my reference point of belief, good or bad, then I owe it to them to try and, and, and keep up a, a solid um, reference point for their sake and mine. Because it's not, I'm not a, 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 an island to myself. My ideas aren't. From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon. And you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week.
Ciao a tutti, sono Vanessa Peter.